This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. being transitioned from a real, actual, tangible, analog, objective world into a fake, subjective, metaphysical, digital world. Now, I've been saying these words for nearly five years on both this podcast and on the causes of things. I have repeated these warnings in the United States and Africa, South America, and Europe. I have attempted to explain as much as you could handle about what was going to be happening to our world and to you personally during this time. I tried to give you as much information as you could handle at the time. Leaking out more and more information from basically 2017 through 2020 and into today where I freely admit to have pulled the lid off of Pandora's box at this point, as has my friend, Dr. James Lindsay. And as the giant propaganda machine that churned out reflexivity was cranking throughout the world from 2016 through the revolutionary fertile fallacy that really was 2020, that even fooled Trump himself, by the way, and into today with the non-stop gaslighting from the media, from the very smart people, from nearly everywhere, from the pulpits to the pundits. Even though this is the greatest attempt at delusion in the history of the world, some people have started to wake up. As a matter of fact, they haven't just woken up. They are now becoming fully alive and fully aware for what might be the first time in their lives. And now, they are refusing to shut up. They are beginning to understand what is at stake. And what is at stake is... Everything. Because, in all practical terms, this is the last battle for the continuation of the human species. And now, thank God... Some men and women that I have pleaded to hear me out over the years, people who back in 2018 or 2019 dismissed my warnings as hyperbole or conspiracy talk, have now started to allow their minds to journey into the dark and wicked truth. They have finally started to allow themselves to think the unthinkable. And now... All of my impassioned speeches from 2019, where no one could understand why I was getting so emotional when I spoke of the darkness of what was coming. Well, they are allowing themselves to believe what was truly unbelievable just three years ago. One of those men is Neil Oliver at GBN. Neil works with my good friends Nigel Farage and Andrew Doyle, and I want to share what he wrote this past week, and I will interact with his article as I read. But Neil has allowed his mind to see things for what they are. 
Neil has allowed himself to stop naively thinking the best of others. And now he understands that something wicked this way comes. And he states the following, quote, It is hard to think the unthinkable, but there comes a time when there's nothing else for it. People raised to trust the powers that be, who have assumed, like I once did, that the state, regardless of its political flavor at any given moment, is essentially benevolent and well-meaning, and will naturally try and keep the assumption of benevolence in mind when trying to make sense of what is going on around them. People like us, you and me, raised in the understanding that we are free, that we have inalienable rights, and that the institutions of this country have our best interests at heart, will tend to tie ourselves in knots rather than contemplate the idea those authorities might actually be working against us now. I took that thought of benevolent, well-meaning authority for granted most of my life. God help me. Not to put too fine a point on it, I was gullible as the next chump a couple of years ago. However, I began to think the unthinkable. And with every passing day, it becomes more and more obvious to me that we are no longer being treated as individuals entitled to try and make the most of our lives, but instead as a barn full of battery hens, just another product to be bought and sold, sold down the river. Let me put it another way. If you have been driving yourself almost demented in an effort to think the best of those in charge, those in senior positions in government, those in charge of the great institutions of the state, those running the big corporations, but finding it increasingly impossible to do so, then the solution to the problem might be to turn your point of view through 180 degrees and accept, however unwillingly, that we are, how best to put this, being taken for a ride. When you find a stranger's hand on your wallet, in the inside pocket of your jacket, rather than trying to persuade yourself he's only making sure it doesn't fall out, it might be more straightforward to draw the conclusion that you're in the process of being robbed. Once the scales fall from a person's eyes, the resultant clarity of sight is briefly overwhelming. Or it is like being handed a skeleton key that opens every locked door. Or access to a Rosetta Stone that translates every word into a language instantly understood. Let's take the energy crisis, for example. If you've felt the blood drain from your face at the prospect of bills rising from hundreds to several thousands of dollars while reading about energy companies doubling their profits overnight while being commanded to subsidize so-called renewables that are anything but green while listening to this politician or that renew their vows to the ruinous fantasies of net zero and Agenda 2030, while knowing that the electricity for electric cars comes, in the main and mostly reliably, from fossil fuels, 
if you can't make sense of it all and just know that it adds up to a future in which you might have to choose between eating and heeding, then treat yourself to the gift of understanding that the powers that be fully intend that we should have less heat and less fuel and that in the planned future only the rich will have cars anyway. The plan is not to fix it. The plan is to break it and leave it broken. So if you struggle to think the best of the world's richest, vacuous, self-obsessed, A-list celebrities among them, endlessly circling the planet on private jets and super yachts, so as to attend get-togethers where they might pontificate to us lowly proles about how we must give up our cars and occasionally holiday flights, even meet on the dinner table. If you wonder how they have the unmitigated gall, then isn't it easier simply to accept that their honestly declared and advertised intention is that their luxurious and pampered lives will continue as before, while we are all left hungry, cold, and mostly unwashed in our unheated homes? Here's the thing. If any leader or celeb honestly meant a word of their sermons about CO2 and the rest, then they would obviously lead by example. They would be the first of all of us willingly to give up international travel altogether. They would downsize to modest homes worn by heat pumps. They would eschew all energy but that from the sun and the wind. They would eat with relish bugs and plants. They would resort to walking, bicycles, and public transport. If net zero and the rest was about the good of the planet and not about clearing the skies and the beaches of scum like us. Don't you think those sainted politicians and A-listers would be lighting the way for us by their own example? If the way of life they preach to us was worth living, wouldn't they be living it already? Perhaps you heard Bill Gates say private jets are his guilty pleasure. And how about food? and more particularly, the predicted shortage of it. The suits and CEOs blame it all, of course, on Vladimir Putin. But if the countries of the world are truly running out of food, then why is our government offering farmers hundreds of thousands of dollars to get out of the industry and sell their land to transnational corporations for use or disuse unknown? Why aren't we, as a society doing what our parents and grandparents did during World War II and digging for victory? Why is the government intent on turning a third of our fertile soil over to rewilding schemes that make life better only for the beavers? Why aren't we looking across the North Sea towards the Netherlands, where a World Economic Forum-infected administration is bullying farmers off their land altogether, forcing them to cull half the national herd? Those Dutch farmers are among the most productive and knowledgeable in the world, holding in their heads and hands the answers to all manner of questions about how best to produce food. And yet their government is so intent on scaring them out of the business that a teenage boy in a tractor taking part in a protest to defend ancient rites and traditions was fired on by police. Why do you think it matters so much to the government? of the second most productive population of farmers in the world, to gut and fillet that industry. 
Why? Why have similar protests in countries all across Europe and the wider world been largely ignored by the mainstream media? A media that would have crawled on its hands and knees over broken glass just to report on a BLM protester opening a bag of non-binary potato chips. Why the silence on the attack on farming? And while we're on the subject of farmland ownership, why is computer salesman Bill Gates buying so much farmland in the United States? More than a quarter of a million acres in 19 states at the last count while simultaneously promoting the production and sale of fake meat? And why have so many small planes crashed into massive food processing plants in the United States, sparking fires and thereby hobbling the production and distribution of yet more of the very stuff of life? Why is this happening to farmers and farming all across the hitherto developed world? isn't the simple, obvious answer. The answer that makes most sense, and that is staring us in our trusting faces. That power for the power-hungry has always rested most effectively upon control of food and its supply. Why are the powers that be attributing this to a cost-of-living crisis when everyone with two brain cells to rub together can see it's a cost-of-lockdown crisis? The inevitable consequence of shutting down the whole world for the best of two years. Soaring inflation, rising interest rates, disrupted supply chains, might they be calling it a cost-of-living crisis as part of their bare-faced attempt to distract us from the fact that while ordinary individuals face a life-and-death struggle in the coming months, the corporations have celebrated their share of the greatest transfer of wealth in history? Doesn't that seem more likely? However unthinkable, might it not be more compelling to ask why our government and governments around the world have effectively stood by and held the coats of huge corporations while those money magnets pulled almost all of the world's wealth into their already creaking coffers? Are our governments more interested in enabling, in aiding and abetting the rich than in lifting so much of a finger to protect our livelihoods, our way of life? I'm only asking... What about the money in our pockets? Why is it getting harder and harder to use good old cash, notes and coins? Why are we being nudged further and further away from spending power that we can see and hold and towards a digital alternative that exists only on the hard drives of the banks that run the world? Why is that, do you think? Rather than dismiss as yet another conspiracy theory, the idea of cash being ultimately replaced with transactions based on the exchange of what amount to glorified food stamps that will only be accepted if our social credit score demonstrates that we've been obedient boys or girls. How about taking the leap and focusing on the blatantly obvious? That if we are not free to buy whatever and whenever we please— free of the surveillance and snooping of governments and the banks that run them, then we have absolutely no freedom at all. 
And while we're on the subject of money and banks, why not pause to notice something else that is glaringly obvious? Which is to say that the currencies of the West are teetering on the abyss, and that one bank after another is revealed to those who are bothering to watch as being close to bankruptcy as is possible without actually falling over the edge. Then there's the so-called vaccines for COVID. I deliberately say so-called because by now it should be clear to all but the willingly blind that those injections do not work as advertised. You can still contract the virus, still transmit the virus, still get sick and still die. Denmark has dropped their use on under-18s. All across the world every day, more evidence emerges, however grudgingly, however much the various complicit authorities and big pharma companies might hate to admit it, of countless deaths and injuries caused by those medical procedures. And yet here in Britain, and just about everywhere else, governments continue to try and get those needles into as many arms as possible, even the arms of the smallest and youngest. The ripe stink of corruption is everywhere. And I trusted authority for most of my life. Now I ask myself on a daily basis, how I ignored the stench for so long. And across the Atlantic, the Biden White House sent the FBI to raid the home of former President Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Joe Biden and his son Hunter he of the laptop full of the most appalling and incriminating content, fly together on Air Force One. No raids planned on the Obamas, nor on the Clintons. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi flew to Taiwan and onwards to China. Her son Paul, an investor in a Chinese tech firm and with seats on the board of companies dealing with lithium, was along for the ride. Into that part of the world where three-quarters of the world's lithium batteries are made. Taiwan leads in that technology. It is hard to think the unthinkable. It's hard to think that all of it, all the misery, all the suffering of the past and to come might just be about money, greed, and power. It is hard to tell yourself you've been taken for a fool and taken for a ride. It's hard. But the view from the other side is worth the effort and the pain. Open your eyes and see. End quote. And so I say to you today, if you have not already to open your eyes today to what is happening around you and understand that it will take all of us to crush this evil, this evil that will steal your child's future, this evil that will destroy humanity, this evil that seeks to end the church as we know it, this evil that is within, in every governmental institution, in every school, in nearly every church, in the media, in our economic systems, it must be defeated. And please know that there are no heroes on white horses who will ride in to save us. No former presidents who will regain their offices and crush the actual insurrections. No, it is up to us. And we only have one choice. We must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. 
Thank you.